0: Top Stories of the Week All New Parliament Same Old Bullshit Also China Gets Spam Email And another reason to avoid Adelaide All that and more on News Weekly Hello, I'm Sammy Shah and welcome to News Weekly, where we punch the news in the headlines weekly. Acknowledgement of Parliament news now. The 47th Australian Parliament opened this week under the new Labour government and it was a strong reminder that we do indeed have a new government, but we're still also stuck with the same old problems. There were the usual shenanigans from the former fish and chip shop owner and current racist Pauline Hanson, who dramatically stormed out during an acknowledgement to country. One Nation's Pauline Hanson objecting to the acknowledgement of country. And pay respects to elders past and present of all Australia's Indigenous peoples. Yelling out her dissatisfaction and walking out of the chamber. That yelling off camera was Pauline Hanson, storming out of the Senate in protest of the Acknowledgement of Country.
1: Well, I called out, no I won't, and I never
0: will. An acknowledgement which has happened for 12 years now. If we'd known that's all it took to get rid of Pauline Hanson, we should have played the Acknowledgement to Country on a loop as soon as she won her first election. In Pauline's defence, though, sitting through Parliament is excruciating under the best of circumstances, and using any excuse to bail is always understandable. So, why is Pauline Hanson suddenly angry with something that's been a normal part of parliamentary proceedings for 12 years now? Well, one reason might be that her party barely won this last election and her vote isn't really needed anymore to push through any new bills with the Greens and Teals now holding the balance of power. In which case, attention-grabbing nonsense means she'll get, well, attention. Attention. Which is, to be fair, what I'm literally doing right now myself. Instead of starting this News Weekly with an analysis of how Labour and Greens might be reaching an agreement for the first time on a new climate bill, I'm focusing on Pauline Hanson. But let's say we do take Pauline's refusal to acknowledge the acknowledgement of country at face value as something she suddenly realised she had feelings about after hearing it for 12 years already. In a video on her YouTube channel, she explained her reasons.
1: As I've said, Let's acknowledge those people, men and women, who have lost their lives and sacrifices that they have made for our freedom and for our country.
0: I mean, technically, a lot of Indigenous people also lost their lives and made sacrifices for Australia to be what it is today. They might not have volunteered for those sacrifices and loss of life, but it did happen. But I don't think that's what Pauline Hanson means. For her, this is about all of us feeling welcome.
1: It's a shame. Because new migrants come to this land, they should be welcomed just as much.
0: Except usually the person most responsible for making new migrants feel unwelcome is Pauline Hanson.
1: I and most Australians want our immigration policy policy radically reviewed and that of multiculturalism abolished. We know that Islamic countries are organised very differently. I believe we are in danger of being swamped by Asians. My party is throwing open the debate on banning, or at the very least, greatly reducing migration of such people to Australia. have no time for the Chinese, as far as I'm concerned. Get out of our country.
0: Over the years, she's claimed Australia is being swamped by Asians, swamped by Chinese and swamped by Muslims. No one ever asks why Pauline Hanson hates swamps so much. But look, I get it. It's easy to call Pauline Hanson racist just because of the racist things she's said and done. And to be fair, in her decision to leave Parliament during the Acknowledgement of Country, she does have a defender in Liberal Party Senator Jacinta Price, a prominent Indigenous politician who addressed this in her speech to Parliament.
1: My goal is to halt the pointless virtue signalling and focus on the solutions that bring real change.
0: Jacinta Price even said, Welcome to country and acknowledgement of country, they're all very recent reinvention of culture. So let's look at that then. Is acknowledgement of country woke lefty virtue signalling? And Pauline Hansen is right to call it out as she did. Or does it have a place in Australia that should be respected? So Jacinta Price, like I said, is correct. Welcome to Country and Acknowledgement of Country, these are relatively recent developments. Now, while it's believed to be part of a long-held Indigenous tradition of hospitality to welcome strangers to their lands with formal ceremonies, the first Welcome to Country, in the format that we might recognise, was performed in 1976 in Perth by Indigenous Australian actors Richard Wally and Ernie Dingo at the request of Polynesian performers who refused to take part in an arts festival unless they were ritually welcomed, something they felt was an important part of their culture. The Welcome to Country was a hit, and Wally and Dingo were invited to perform their Welcome to Country again at a Miss Universe pageant which was also being held in Perth the next year. This, of course, marks the only time in Perth's history that it's done anything culturally impactful. Both Richard Wally and Ernie Dingo said it proved groundbreaking as a way to share indigenous culture and break down barriers, which had proved really difficult until then. It wasn't until the 1980s, however, that the welcome and acknowledgments were both formalized by Pat Dodson, the chair of the Council for Aboriginal Reconciliation at the time. From there, it grew organically. However, now it's rare to attend any event, particularly in the arts, without an acknowledgement or welcome to country prefacing it. So, firstly, many critics point out that it's barely a tradition if it's 46 years old. However... Advance Australia Fair, the Australian National Anthem, was only made the National Anthem 48 years ago. So if we can consider a song with the word "gert" in it as a tradition, even though it wasn't made official until 1974, then that argument doesn't really hold up. Hell, Australia Day has only been a holiday since 1994, and people talk about that like it's older than the invention of walking upright. And secondly, and I'm going to lose a lot of you here, but bear with me, I do kind of see the point of Jacinta Price's argument in her parliamentary speech this week.
1: A standard ritual practice before events, meetings, and social gatherings by governments, corporates, institutions, primary schools, kindergartens, high schools, universities, workplaces, music festivals, gallery openings, conferences, airline broadcasts, and so on and so forth. I personally have had more than my fill of being symbolically recognised.
0: See, auspicious occasions I get. The start of a new parliamentary sitting, it fits. A recording playing just before I do the third week of my comedy festival show where I talk about my penis for an hour, I feel it's a bit disrespectful, actually. But at the same time, every time I hear either the acknowledgement or the welcome to country, I don't feel excluded. I like starting things with a prayer of some sort and... I feel it brings people together before an endeavour or undertaking, but I'm an atheist, and majority Australians aren't really religious. So an appeal to God would make about as much sense to me as an appeal to Bugs Bunny or Superman. In fact, I'd actually like an appeal to Superman before any event. Our Kryptonian survivor who art in the fortress of solitude. Kal-El be thy name. But a welcome or acknowledgement of country to me does the same thing as a prayer quite nicely. It feels uniquely Australian. And it makes me feel like I'm part of this country and its heritage and its legacy in all of those complex and myriad ways. For Pauline Hansen, it has the opposite effect. It makes her feel excluded. But maybe that's because Pauline Hanson has lived her whole life trying to make others feel excluded as well and so only sees exclusion wherever she looks. So with that little bit of performative vice-signalling by Pauline out of the way, Anthony Albanese had his first question time as Prime Minister in which he welcomed Peter Dutton to his new role as Leader of the Opposition. I wish him well as Leader of the Opposition. I hope he stays there for a very, very long time. (laughs) Hey, that's a lot more polite than the last time Albanese spoke to Dutton. Here is you some... sit down, the Prime Minister then got to work right away, addressing the top issues and needs of the Australian public. One of the new government's first acts will be to abolish the Australian Building and Construction Commission. Huh? What the hell is that?
1: It's a partisan body that was introduced by the last uh, government to destroy unions and to erode workers' rights.
0: That's right. The Turnbull government reintroduced it in 2016 after the Rudd government abolished it in 2008, doing that after the Howard government introduced it in 2005. Is the ABCC like a warm-up exercise for each government? Like introducing it or removing it is like stretching your muscles before you pull a hamstring on a real policy decision? Something like, oh, you know, the new climate bill, legislating Labour's emissions reductions target of 43% by 2030. It's been controversial because Labour needs the Greens to push it through and the Greens have been arguing that 43% isn't enough to save the environment and they want a ban on new coal and gas projects. Labour, meanwhile, feels 43% is enough because they don't want to actually save the environment, just their chances of winning the next election. And they love new coal and gas projects because they are linking those to jobs. Even though it's been proven time and again that the coal and gas industry is no longer hire very many people, and in fact renewable energies can lead to much greater employment and if the oceans rise up, the only jobs any of us will be getting is narrating the opening sequence in a Kevin Costner movie from 1995. Uh
1: Who still searches, a woman who still hopes, and a small child who carries the secret to a new beginning. In this place they know only as Water World.
0: China checks spam email news now. An Australian protester has been arrested in the UK over what he claims is a false bomb threat.
1: Australian activist Drew Pavlou says his arrest during a protest outside London's Chinese Embassy was groundless.
0: They held me in a cell for 23 hours, I wasn't allowed to talk to a lawyer, they, they wouldn't let me talk to anyone on the outside, no one knew where I was. They have made up this email claiming that I sent in a bomb threat, it's just absolute insanity, why would I throw away my life like that, I'm a peaceful protester, it's just so, so shocking, I miss my family, I can't leave the country, they're threatening to arrest me at the border. Um, I've done nothing wrong. I just wanted to peacefully protest. And the Chinese embassy have invented this narrative. After being held in custody for 23 hours by British police, Drew was released and is now waiting to see if he'll be prosecuted for a bomb threat that the Chinese embassy in London claims he sent them. This isn't the first time the 23-year-old has been in the spotlight for protesting China. Drew Pavlou has long been a thorn in the side of the Chinese government he's protested
1: against Chinese Communist Party influence on Australian campuses. Some sort of incident taking place... was ejected from Wimbledon for holding up a sign saying, where is Peng Shui? And the
0: Queenslander ran for the Senate this year on a pro-Taiwan foreign policy. If he's charged with the bomb threat, he could face up to seven years in prison, which is four more years than China is threatening to imprison a student leader in Hong Kong for quote, inciting others to cast blank votes in the Hong Kong election. And six more years than another the protester is getting in Hong Kong for allegedly shouting, the police are all rubbish. So far, the evidence against Drew Pavlou is a bomb threat email sent to the Chinese embassy from the email account, and I'm not making this up, pavlo 99 at protonmail.com, while he was trying to glue his hand to the Chinese embassy as a protest stunt. In Drew's defense, why would he send a bomb threat when he's glued to the building? Why would he use an email address with his name? And also, it's 2022 and no one uses Proton Mail anymore. They might as well have claimed he sent it from a Geocities website. Meanwhile, in other China-related news, U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi is considering a trip to Taiwan next month. She would be the highest-ranking U.S. elected official to visit since 1997. I think that it's important for us to show support uh, for Taiwan. This after her trip to Ukraine in May, which got her addicted to taking holidays in geopolitical hotspots. Apparently, she's considering spending spring break on the beaches of Syria. China is not happy about this planned trip to Taiwan, and Xi Jinping conveyed his displeasure to Joe Biden in a two-hour phone call. The Chinese President Xi Jinping delivering a stern warning to President Biden today
1: as tensions escalate quickly over Taiwan. In a call that we're told lasted more than two hours, she warned President Biden, those who play with
0: fire will perish by it. It is hoped that the US will be clear-eyed about this. Biden, who probably had to be reminded that he's president just before the phone call started, delivered a rebuttal that's the verbal equivalent of sniffing someone's hair. The White House says
1: Presidents Biden and Xi had a direct and honest discussion about Taiwan and that Mr. Biden underscored that the U.S. opposes any changes to the status
0: quo with Taiwan. Xi Jinping has retaliated by claiming he received a bomb threat then from Nancy Pelosi1234 at YahooMail.com. Stop solving mysteries, news now. A 73-year-old mystery has finally been solved. Kind of. In 1948, the body of a well-dressed man was found by a seawall of Somerton Beach in Adelaide. No one knew who he was, and because this was a time before Netflix and TikTok, people had nothing better to do than obsess over his identity. It didn't help that he had several cryptic clues on his person, like a jacket and tie with their tags cut off, unused train and bus tickets, and a scrap of paper with the printed words Thamam Shud, meaning finished in Persian. All kinds of theories have since been put forward, including him being a Russian spy. But now, finally, a breakthrough. Derek Abbott is a grown man who decided his hobby was solving this mystery, as opposed to doing something more worthwhile with his time like investing in a PlayStation or going for a walk. The best match we found to the Somerton Man happened to be somebody in Victoria. The answer has come through DNA after researchers were given strands of the Somerton man's hair. The DNA was then compared to records uploaded by the public to genealogy websites to build a big family tree. So basically, if you put your information in Ancestry.com and and 23andMe type websites, at best, you can find out one of your ancestors was from someplace more interesting than you're from. And worst, you're either related to a serial killer or a dead mystery man in Adelaide. And that person is Carl Charles Webb, born in Melbourne in 1905. Just like Derek Abbott... He was an electrical engineer. He's one of six siblings and he's the only one without the death records. Other clues
1: line up. The Somerton man had the name T. Keane printed on his tie. It makes
0: sense because Charles Webb had a sister, Frieda, and and the sister was married to Thomas Keane. So not a Russian spy, but an electrical engineer from Melbourne who stole his brother-in-law's tie. You know, science really does take the fun out of some things. Next up, Bigfoot isn't real, it's just Donald from accounting. Still, there are apparently some questions we don't know yet. We may now know who the Summerton Man was, but we still don't know why or how he ended up here on this beach. Why did no one report him missing or recognise him? Why was his suitcase left at the train station? And what was the significance of the poetry and the codes? For now, the case is still far from closed. The likeliest theory right now is he went from Melbourne to Adelaide for a change of scenery, but by the time he got to Adelaide, he realised the only thing to do there was visit the market everyone in Adelaide talks about like it's a wonder of the world when really all it is is a fucking market. After that, he got so bored and depressed about being in Adelaide, he killed himself. Oh, and the Persian was torn from a copy of the Rubaiyat of Umar Khayyam, a book of pretentious Persian poetry that's mostly about wine and wanting to bang, and was read by the early 20th century equivalent of wankers, who these days have a copy of Khalil Gibran's The Prophet on their bedside table. The true moral of this story is, of course, to stay away from Adelaide. That's it for this week's edition of News Weekly. As always, if you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to patreon.com slash samishah, that's S-A-M-I-S-H-A-H and join my Patreon. If you throw a little bit of money my way, you're going to get a lot of cool content, particularly next week onwards when I'm going to be debuting a whole new series that I have done for Audible Australia. It's going to be an amazing new thing with lots of extra content that you'll only get on my Patreon. So please do join if you're into that kind of bonus extra behind the scenes kind of stuff. Uh, always, of course, I ask that you go over to the itunes for this uh podcast and leave a nice review and a rating and tell your friends about it and do all the things that help these things grow or you know what just keep listening either way i'm grateful my name is sammy shah and i'm going to see you right back here next week on news weekly where we punch the news in the headlines weekly